we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 156 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. Bruce, how are you today? Bearing in mind, I already know the answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, well, for the listener's sake, healthy and alive, as usual. And uh, if you could see me, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, kind of um, tired around the eyes. Uh, very little sleep last night. Unfortunately, I have to say that I'm in the same boat, albeit not quite as bad. I did have a rather rough night last night, uh, and I don't know why. It was just one of those where I was just tossing and turning, and it's just, you know, just it didn't work. I, I don't know why. It just didn't work. But anyway, moving right into the events of the day, uh, and I hate to I hate to say this, but um, the banking system, well, it's a little shaky at the moment. We've got Western Alliance Bank Corp. We've got them down 75%. They've actually dropped to 85 and a half. We've got First Republic Bank down 66%, Customers Bank Corp down 54%, PacWest Bank Corp down 46%, Zion's Bank Corp down 44%, Bank of Hawaii down 42%, Comerica is down 39%, and East West Bank Corp is down 32%. Now, that's not including Silicon Valley Bank, which folded on Friday evening, and that's not including, uh, what was the other bank that we were talking about? Signature Bank. They were also seized by the Treasury Department over the weekend. And you know what? Wouldn't you know, if you're a depositor there, if you're a if you're somebody that's got accounts and things there, well, yeah, uh, you're probably not going to be able to get that money because, well, you see, the FDIC, the Federal Depository Insurance company or whatever the hell it stands for, it says that 98.9% of the 98.5% of the depositors actually don't qualify for our depository insurance. So um, we're real sorry about that, but you, you're screwed. You're not going to get any money. Strange. Let, let's go back here. Let's look at FTX. The financial network, the leading financial network in America is CNBC. Okay. Big guy on there, market watch, Jim Cramer. Everybody listens to Jim Cramer. Funny thing, he said FTX was solid. We played the clip here before. Sam Bankman-Fried, this generation's JP Morgan. You're crazy if you don't invest in this. Same thing with Facebook. Do you remember that? Oh my God. The, what Facebook is doing here is, is beyond genius. They're, they're leading the forefront in the, tech, the new technological revolution. Then he says this, 
a month ago about Silicon Valley Bank. The ninth best performer year to date is SVB Financial. Don't yawn. This company's a merchant bank with a deposit base that Wall Street had been stakely concerned about. SVB is still Silicon Valley Bank. Recently bought one of our favorite research firms, Buffett Nathanson, and it's become less dependent upon private equity and venture capitalist offerings. Wait a second. Those dried up last year, they could come back. Yes, some of them come back here with a stock directly affects an oversold position. Stock was the fourth worst performer in 2022. I think the fears were not justified, and it's a very compelling situation. Hey, by the way, long-term private equity and venture capital, they're not going away. Being the banker to these immense pools of capital has always been a very good business. Stock's still cheap. Now, you have to remember that a stock that falls 66%, like SVB Financial did last year, it takes it a lot more to recover. After losing two-thirds of your value, you need a 200% gain to get back to even. This is arithmetic. Some people call it geometry. So you could argue SVB's nearly 40% rally this year is barely a drop in the bucket. And that's how I want you to think it. I think it's also a good example of why these bounce-back moves might be far from over. These stocks could have more room to run, especially if you think they were driven down to artificially low levels by tax law selling, artificial dumping, like we saw in the Treasury Department seized that financial institution 72 hours ago. Yeah. Um, and to your point about the investors, um, depositors, they're going to uh, not be insured. They're basically lost their deposits. Uh, a lot of those banks changed their policy, their bylaws uh, after 2008 to ensure that you, the depositor, are the last to be paid. Everybody else gets paid before you. And you've mentioned that, uh, I want to say you started mentioning that a couple of years ago here. So it's not exactly breaking news. Of course, it'll be breaking news whenever they, they bring this up. Jim Cramer, over the weekend, three days ago, Friday evening, tweeted the following, or Friday morning, tweeted the following, JP Morgan is a fortress. Do you know what that means? That means JP Morgan's probably next on the chopping block. <laughs> That's what that means. Now, a few days have have passed, right, since since Friday, since the Silicon Valley Bank incident and I just told you what pre-market was today. They actually stopped trading on those banks this morning because of <clears throat> volatility. Charles Schwab, not to be confused with dear old Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, Charles Schwab Investment House, to give you an idea, dropped 25% this morning. That is their largest one-day drop in that company's history. And to put that into perspective, they manage $7 trillion, with a T, Seven trillion dollars in global assets. Seven trillion. And they dropped 25% this morning. Credit Suisse has reported their lowest share price in the company's history. But what does the board of directors say? Well, it's complicated. We really don't have an excuse for that. It's just it's complicated. Now, Bruce asked me in prep, and I I tend to believe that this is the case. I, I could I I hope. That that's what this is. I mean, any way you look at it, any way you slice this, this is bad, especially if you got money or a mortgage in any of these companies. But I tend to think this is not the big one. I, I tend to think that it's not. And I hope that that's what it is. I, I hope that it's not the big one. That, that's what I mean. I hope it's not what it is. And the reason I say is because I personally believe, and I, I've been saying this for years, I personally believe that the financial collapse is going to happen in Germany. I think that's where it's going to start. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's going to be contained here. I'm saying that's where it's going to start. You've got Deutsche Bank, which nobody's discussing, I might add. Deutsche Bank has over $100 trillion in exposure on its books already. That was pre-COVID. I shudder to think what they have now. So I 
I fully expect the financial collapse, when it goes, it's going to start here, it's going to spread to Japan, and then it's going to circumnavigate back over to the US, and then it's going to hit London and Paris until it goes full circle. That's what I think is going to happen. Now, is it possible that you're going to see some contagion, which I don't believe that they actually have this contained. Is it possible that you're going to see some contagion happen and spread over across uh, branches and, and affiliates and things like that? Yes. I, I, well, I mean, we're already seeing that. Uh, the Chinese uh, biotech companies are actually being hit. Uh, some German branches are actually being seized by the, uh, the finance uh, Ministry of Finance here today of Silicon Valley and, and things like that. So I expect that to happen. But I think that this is just a little off the top, right? Just to use a haircut analogy, I think it's just a little off the top because they're now discussing, well, look, it's not a bailout, right? That's what the White House official statement is. It, it's not a bailout. We're discussing other steps, but it's not a bailout. Okay, what is it? I, I tend to think that they're kind of in between a rock and a hard place in this one, but at the same time, it plays in their favor both ways, doesn't it? If you think about it, if they do a bailout, well, then that buys them more time. They can also consolidate. If they don't do a bailout, then they can hold the depositors and the creditors hostage and bring in their digital currency. But I think it's too soon. That's not enough of a contagion and not enough of a, of a financial sector uh, collapse for them to hold everybody hostage. I think that's what they need. So they're, they're going to go whole hog with this thing. If that's any indication of what they've done in the past, they're going to go complete with an entire financial sector power grab as opposed to just part of it. Because if they do part of it, I think they'll have less, even less chance of a success than what they're already going to have. But today, as I was watching all of that, because I have a little bit of an advantage, I'm in the middle of mainland Europe. So I, I have the ability to watch the Asian markets, market close, European market open, market close. And I'm a few hours ahead of the East Coast, so I can see U.S. pre-market opens when a lot of people are still either sleeping or in the middle of their um, their commute to work. If you're working, I, I don't know what a lot of people are doing. I think we're still paying a lot of people not to work. But I have the ability to kind of be in the in the middle of all that. And I thought, OK, as I'm watching all of these banks take these massive hits this morning, I thought I'm going to turn on all the financial networks. So I ran downstairs and I flipped on Bloomberg and CNBC, right? Because those two networks, those two financial networks, you're going to see what's going on. You're going to see what's going on. If, if there's some kind of volatility, as they call it, in the market, you're going to see it and they're going to be discussing it. It was anything but. I flipped the TV on, which I, I had to get the dust off of at first, but I flipped the TV on. And to my shock, but not to my surprise, they weren't saying anything about it. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you've got eight, actually almost 10, if you include Charles Schwab and a couple of others, if you include and all, all, all the subsidiaries of all these banks, I mean, if you just look at Western Alliance Bank Corp, which, by the way, that's down 85 percent, right? Just today, today, if you look at that, that company's banking subsidiaries include the following. Alliance Association Bank, which is a commercial bank specializing in homeowners, uh, homeowner associations in Arizona. The Alliance Bank of Arizona, which is a retail bank. The Bank of Nevada, which is a retail bank in Clark County, Nevada. The Bridge Bank, which is a commercial bank in the San Francisco Bay Area with loan production offices in nine states. First Independent Bank, which is a retail bank in western Nevada. And Torrey Pines Bank, which is a retail bank in Southern California. Western Alliance also has Amerahome Mortgage, which is a mortgage loan company. That's just one of these banks. Look at all those subsidiaries. Don't you think the two biggest financial networks on this planet should take notice of that? And all you get out of the hosts were, 
yeah, there was a bank that collapsed on Friday, uh, Silicon Valley. So we expect to see some uh, some shakeup in the markets. But, you know, bond yields are great today. That's what I got. Are, are we just going to continue to stick our head in the sand here and act like, no, well, no, sorry, none of that's happening. I, I think to what you mentioned earlier, you don't think this is the big one. Uh, I don't think they think that either, that it's the big one, because I've I don't think it. I don't think they're ready either. I, I don't think they have any of the mechanisms in place that they need fully to to do their uh, central bank uh, digital currency. So, with that in mind, uh, you want to mitigate and control the contagion as much as possible. You want to keep people from, uh, uh, you know, making a run on the banks. That uh, you know, in a bank that may be a little bit uh, vulnerable, but is not one of the targets of this. Uh, that that's very very possible. What's what's going on there? If if it, this isn't the big one, they're just doing damage control. That's what it seems like. Is they're just doing damage control? It doesn't seem like they're they're too concerned about any of what's going on. And I, you know, I I I have I have think maybe. And I I agree with you. I I don't think they have the mechanisms in place. They're not ready yet. I mean, I, I have no doubt that they're on the road to do that, but they're not ready for it to go operational yet. It's just not there. They need a way to hold everybody hostage to force you into saying, I don't want to lose my retirement. I, I don't want to lose my home, which you're going to lose all that stuff anyway. I, I don't want to lose my savings account. So uh, I'm going to do what they say because they're going to offer you a portion of it is what they're going to do. It's not going to be the full thing. As in, look, we're going to give you a one-to-one -one exchange on this new digital currency. It's not going to be that. It never is. They're going to say, well, you can do this option, which is the digital currency, the central bank digital currency. You can do this option and you can keep a third or half, whatever, or maybe even three quarters. I don't know, but it's not going to be all of it. It'll just be enough to get you in the door. And then they'll put in all the other BS portions of it later. Why are you laughing? Well, the other thought I had is... Um uh, Andrew Yang's, um, is, uh, what, what was it called? Uh, universal basic income. They could say, yeah. oh, well, we'll give you uh, a percentage of, of whatever your currency is every month until it's paid back in, in, in digital currency. Like the Chinese do. Stuck in the system like the Chinese do, but that would get your foot into, they would get you into the system and then you would be stuck there because you, you can't pull out or you lose all that money. There's also another side to this, right? So you have the banking system, and that 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 is something that you're meant to see. But again, they really don't want to draw too much attention to it because they don't want to create more panic in the marketplace. Because as I said, they shut down trading this morning because of well, volatility. American banks are collapsing, or at least they're in the process of it. Again, I think this is just a... I, I think they're just shaking the tree is all they're doing. You're going to have some people get caught with their pants down, so to speak. You're going to have people that are going to lose some money. But this isn't the... I, I don't think this is the big one. At least it doesn't feel like it. Looking at historical crashes, you know, mar market collapses and things like that. Uh, and there's there's more than just 29. I mean, everybody references 29, but I think that's, you know, that was just one incident. But that's not actually when the market crashed. <laughs> I mean, that was the worst crash we've ever had. But we reference that for whatever reason. But looking at that, you can see these things coming. You, you can see in the market when things are starting to crash, as in like a tumble over and over and over again. And we're crashing all the way down to, I don't know, 15,000 on the Dow where it loses 50% or more of its value. You're going to see that coming. And it doesn't feel like that's what this is, at least not yet. They're just giving you a little off the top. But the banks are in trouble, right? We knew the banks were in trouble. 
Hell, Edward Dowd, the, you know, the guy from from BlackRock, he was a he was a risk management guy and, and studied um, uh, what's it called? Trends in order to increase uh, portfolios at BlackRock. That's why they hired him. And he took a uh, was it like a, and I could be misquoting on the figures here, but I, it, I'm just kind of roughly trying to remember off the top of my head. He took a, a $20 million account and turned it into like $20 billion. You can't do that if you're a moron. So th- the guy comes with credibility when he speaks on market trends. And the guy said in the beginning of COVID, he said, look, we're at the end here. And we've been saying that even before that. We saw this before COVID even happened. I was on a phone call one day with an investor from the United States who has been in that business for almost three decades now. So I know the person personally. I trust that person's judgment. And that person told me before COVID, mind you, around, I want to say two weeks before COVID, around the 7th of December of 2019. It was a few weeks before COVID. And that person told me there is a correction coming. We don't know how big, but we're expecting a correction and it's coming. That correction is on its way. It started then. We were at the end. COVID, as Dowd said, gave the Fed a reprieve. It gave them some breathing room. Not a breathing room, like Karine Jean-Pierre says. It gave them breathing room. It gave them the ability to expand the balance sheets again, to clean out all the mom and pop small businesses with the lockdowns. We were wondering in the early days, why is the Fed? Why, why is the Fed running around saying that we need a hard lockdown for six to eight weeks? Why are they saying that? What is it? What is a bank know about health policy? They just wanted to clean out businesses is what they wanted to do. You've had no advances in the country of Ukraine by Russia in the last six months. We can't talk about that, can we? Oh, they're taking back moot, right? They've got that encircled. They've had that encircled for what, four months now? That's the longest pension maneuver I've ever seen. China is making peace deals between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Hell has officially frozen over. The Saudis have been brokering a peace deal with the Houthi rebels in Yemen, which I was talking to Marty about that. We'll have him on this week to discuss that. It's a simple matter of buying them off until you can't buy them off anymore. That's all that is. And you've got the BRICS alliance that are magically starting to make headway. More countries are interested in joining. Right at the time we have a bank failure? Seems awful convenient, doesn't it? Awful convenient. Oh, by the way, I, I know there's just this, this this small little detail, uh, but Bruce, did you, did you happen to catch today what Biden is doing? Now, Remember, we couldn't have the Keystone Pipeline. You remember that, right? We, we couldn't have that. Yeah, I remember that all too well. Yeah, we, we couldn't have that. You know, it was going to deliver 830,000 barrels of oil a day. Did you know that? And it was going to go actually right to your hometown there. Yep. 830,000 barrels of oil a day. I think we could satisfy our demand as well as our, our European friends and our Australian friends and our New Zealander friends. Can we not with that amount? I'm pretty sure we can. You know, we can take care of the Canadians. Yeah, I think we'd have enough to, to go. We have plenty to go around, right? Wouldn't you know today in the midst of all of this, Biden has approved the Alaska North Slope oil drilling project. I, I thought we were concerned about climate change. I thought we were concerned about a, a mating habit of a moose or something because, you know, we couldn't have that pipeline because, oh, God, it could leak. That, that, that could leak and it could destroy the, you know, the mating habits of, of whatever, right? We can't have that. We, we can't have that environmental disaster when they basically nuked a town in my home state of Ohio and destroyed the drinking water for millions of people. They could give a damn about the environment, these people. So why now? Why are we approving the Alaska North Slope drilling project, which Trump was actually going to do, by the way, but he left office? Why is this 
all of a sudden being brought to the forefront. But yet, we don't have a financial problem. Nothing to see here. Perhaps the collapse is happening a little too quick, and they're not quite ready, and they're trying to buy time. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't have an answer. But what I do know is that what you just said, they're not ready. The mechanisms are not in place. You can't implement a, a massive worldwide digital currency system overnight. It's not going to happen. Honestly, I think even when they do, do you know how many people are going to be confused and and something's not going to work and and we can't get this QR code and and we can't get this authorization and this business doesn't accept that thing and that's that device is outdated and that software needs to be updated. These people that are going to put all this in, mainly these are ESG companies out of the World Economic Forum. These people cannot manage their own businesses. If you look at the banks that are collapsing, look at their board of directors, look at their executives that they put in these places. All of these are, quote, ESG compliant banking institutions. If you go and you look at the the Twitter feeds, the LinkedIn pages, the, the corporate profiles on the websites of these companies, and you see the people that are in position, all they do is talk about identity politics. All they do is talk about all diverse and this agenda, that agenda, the green agenda, the climate change, the LGB, whatever, it, all of that. Every single bit of virtue signaling stuff, the Ukraine thing, the COVID compliance, all of it. And they're all bankrupt. And these are the people. These types of institutions are the ones that are going to be responsible for managing a digital currency system. I don't see that happening. Do you? So this is, this is where if all of that mismanagement, shall we say, was intentional, then, uh, well, maybe they could. Maybe they could manage a um, centralized digital currency. It's tough to say, because right, uh, that's difficult to prove whether this was uh, malfeasance or just they suck. Uh, well, uh, I think it's I a little of both, quite frankly, because let, let's let be honest, the green, agenda, the, the green agenda, the climate change thing, this Silicon Valley bank, I forget how many startups were involved in that, this, you know, the green uh, startup number or whatever it was. There was a big crypto firm that was involved with them as well. They had about three and a half billion in assets. But this this bank, uh, the Silicon Valley bank, they had somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, I want to say it was like, uh, was it like 90,000 90, companies that were startups, like tech startups and and climate company startups and, and things like that. They were just little small ones, right? Just like, as I said, little startups. But we've all been thinking that the green agenda, the useless windmills, the useless solar panels, right, little solar panels here and there for your little devices and stuff. Those things actually work. I'm not going to knock those. But this idea that we're going to put fields and fields and fields of these things to power like a neighborhood of homes, that's ridiculous. These windmills that are causing these problems offshore, not to mention onshore, we can't recycle, repurpose, or reuse any of this stuff. The electric cars, that whole thing is a racket from the start. A one-ton electric car battery... A one-ton lithium battery for a car takes 500,000 pounds of material to make one. We don't possess enough cobalt on the planet to be able to satisfy current contracts. We don't possess enough lithium in the world to replace what we already have, let alone anything going forward. So the green agenda, just looking at it on the surface, you don't even have to dig too deep, is a pump and dump, what they call a pump and dump. It's a way for them to get all the little businesses, like all those little startups, all those little businesses in to rake in all that cash and screw every last one of them. Sorry, 
you don't have any money left. As Bruce was telling me over the weekend, he says, you know the feeling I'm getting out of this uh, the Silicon Valley bank collapse? And I said, let me guess, the con man dragging the suitcase full of money through the train station, and he's getting out of town. And he said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm feeling here. And that's exactly what this is. They conned these people into this green energy BS. And you're going to see bigger cons. And you're going to see longer cons. Because that's what it is. It's a con job. It's to screw you. It's to screw me. It's to screw civilization. Not to mention, think about where it comes from. The countries that are not doing this green energy crap, namely Russia, China, India, any of the other oil producing nations, they're not doing any of this. All this does is it stops us from becoming energy independent. And it keeps us dependent on those communist bloc countries is what it does. So think about where that agenda came from, just using logic and deductive reasoning. Like I said, today was going to be an abbreviated one because we are kind of out of it today. So we will be back tomorrow. Uh, we, we should be sitting down with uh, Melissa from Cutting Through the Matrix uh, tomorrow. And I believe we will be paid a special visit by Ned earlier in the week, this week, apart from yesterday. We will go ahead and jump out of here. Bruce, I would like to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. And have a great evening.